if I start drinking, I would drink for seven consecutive days where I would don five liters of wine. If I had to do gin, I would do a liter. You know, I black out later on when I wake up, you know, you need to down more. It was a continuation. It was a chaos. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was 800-meter Olympic champion Wilfred Bungay. I'm Andrew Binner, and this is the official Olympic Channel Podcast. Each week, we find the very best athletes and speakers, and we ask them all about the biggest Olympic talking points. Olympic Channel Podcast. Wilfred Bungay won 800 meters gold at the World Indoor Championships in 2006, before reaching his dream to become the Olympic champion at Beijing 08. An enormous celebration took place in Italy, where he trained, and of course back home in Kenya. So it's fair to say that life was pretty good. But with nothing more to win, he decided to quit in 2011, and that is the moment that Bungi's problems began. After a lengthy battle with alcoholism, including several near-death experiences, he finally sought the help he needed in order to save his own life. The death of friend and fellow Beijing 08 gold medalist Samuel Wanjiru in an alcohol-related incident also contributed to Bungay's sobriety. Today, he's over seven years sober and is now on a mission to prevent other former athletes from going down the same path. Our reporter Evelyn Water travelled out to Kenya to sit down with the former middle distance king. Olympic Channel Podcast. Evelyn, I want, I want to say that especially the vacuum that was created, immediately I retire. It's one of the things that I have want to talk about exclu- exclusively for sportsmen and women. Either go into drugs, they can either go into drinking. We have a majority of us that are living in abject poverty, despite the fact that they went a lot of uh, fame, they made a lot of money, they won medals, but it becomes a problem. And I decided myself to come out on this, on my own terms. For one reason, I realized if I, stay my, if I say my story, I may be able to change a life of a sportsman or woman around the world. How is your story? What is your story? 2010 is when I retired. By December of the same year, three months down the line, I realized that my life was almost coming to a standstill. And what I would do is where I was living, you know, we had a swimming pool, we had caretakers around, and I would send them, you know, to just to get a drink for me and them, we drink. Before I realized, Evelyn, I was doing not only a bottle of wines, but in liters. It took a toll on my body. And I did not realize that I had a problem until 2012, when I was involved in some accidents. I was involved in blackouts. I was hospitalized twice. And I want to say this, this is a story that it is not only for Wilfred. And as I said, you know, for majority of our sportsmen and women, they are in the same life. And unfortunately, majority of them have not realized that they have a problem. Evelyn, my story, if I never went for treatment, which it took six weeks in 2012, I don't think that I would be here today speaking to you. And I am happy for the six weeks that I underwent treatment in what people call it rehabilitation center. I'm happy today because seven years, three months down the line, I have not touched alcohol. I already know who I am and I am a very 
active Alcoholics Anonymous member. That means I've decided that I can never touch alcohol. And how deep did you sink into alcoholism? You're talking about liters, bottles. How deep was that for you? People think that maybe I drank for a very long time. It was only a two years, but it was two years of what I call a roller coaster, whereby if I start drinking, I would drink for seven consecutive days where I would don five liters of wine. If I had to do gin, I would do a liter, you know, just within a short time. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm taking a liter of uh, gin in, in, in a whole day. You know, I'll just have to calp and, you know, I black out later on when I wake up, you know, you need to down more. It was a continuation. It was a chaos. It was very chaotic, you know, it was not a good thing for my family, it was not a good thing for anyone who knew Wilfred Bungay and what I was about. I mean, as, an, as a very disciplined athlete, and I was singing in those two years. And that is why I say this, that uh, for me, I decided to share this story. Because if my story can change a life of a sportsman and woman, of our sport, I'll be happy. One thing also that the, the medical people have realized is alcoholism is a disease, just like a diabetic. The reason why I say that is when you are an alcoholic, you need to understand that you can never touch alcohol. For me, for seven years, three months today, in 2018, it is a process that I've taken and it's a process that I had to learn that I can never do these things. Just like somebody who is diabetic that cannot touch sugar, for example. Otherwise, unless they need to be hospitalized. For me, if I go back today to drinking, Evelyn, the movie will start from where I left. <clears throat> I still call it a movie because everything that happened was chaotic and insanity. And that is what. Were you stressed or what was driving you to drink so much? What was it that you were deriving from drinking that you could not find? when you're sober? Uh, I'm happy you are asking this question, whether I was stressed or anything. Someone else, you know, a few in, my, in the forums that I do for my motivational speaking, somebody was like, oh, Wilfred, you know, had you lost all the money and therefore you were stressed? Absolutely not. I just come in when I still had a lot of money. I never even lost any money during that time. But I want to say that it was the vacuum that I didn't have much to do which happens to most of the most disciplined athletes. When they are running, their life is only running, you sleep, you travel around the world, yes. It, that is the life you have. Before you retire, you better know what you are going to do. Immediately, you are done. So that you are not idle, and you find yourself maybe being in wrong company, and the next thing that you know is you will be going under. So that is why, for me, the best thing that can happen is plan your life before you retire. Top sportsmen who are doing boxing and other events, they have undergone treatment, but they go back. I've realized that you know treatment centers are very expensive. And getting the right people who can be able to guide you is always the hardest thing. You know, for me, I was fortunate that I had money and I was supposed to spend in those six weeks more than a million shillings in a treatment center and to death. I am happy that I underwent all that program. One thing that I can tell you, Evelyn, and I can tell our viewers, is that alcoholism is, a, is, 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 is not something that you choose. No one chooses to be an alcoholic. No one chooses that I want to 
drink today and not go to functions. One of the reasons that I learned, and it was the beginning of the healing for me, was one, during the treatment, I was asked whether at certain point I miss appointment. I remember, because I am the goodwill ambassador for epilepsy in the world, and there was a conference that was done the first time in Africa. It was done in Nairobi. The cabinet secretary for, for health was there. I was going to speak, but you can't believe. On the evening, on the eve of the event on the next day, I decided to, went to go out with one of the doctors, the best doctors we have for epilepsy, who was an Italian. He told me, Wilfred, let's go out. We had a glass of wine, but it never became a class. When we were done with that and done with the dinner, I went home. Instead of going home, I passed through the bar, went with drinks to my place, and I drank until morning. I could not do that event. It happens that, you know, during that, those processes, so many events that I was supposed to be doing, you know, once I've picked a drink, it was just chaos and chaos and chaos. There's nothing wrong, Evelyn, let me tell you, for anyone, anyone, whether you're the sportman or not, for you to seek help. Because otherwise, there's only three destinations for an alcoholic. It is either the institutions, which is treatment, you will go to jail because you will do something stupid that will put you in trouble, or you will die. As Wilfred Bungay, I've gone through the institution. What is remaining is jail and death. And the two, I'm not interested. And no one wants to be there. And that is why it reminds me and it gives me on the toes to realize that I have to live with this disease for the rest of my life and the only way not to get into trouble is not going back to drinking. When I was done, I went to set up a, an hotel business and a bar. And I remember my counselor was like, Wilfred, are you sure that you want to open a bar and you have come out of treatment? I say, I'm sure. I think I had made a decision that I was not going to touch alcohol, but I know who I am. <clears throat> and what I've been able to do is, if someone walks in, I can identify an alcoholic from a kilometer away. I can see someone, the way they drink, and I know this person has an issue of drinking. And I always tell them, you know what? I think we need to talk. The way you drink, it is not the best thing. But what I can say is majority of the alcoholics, if you see anywhere, number one, they are smart people. Number two, they are very hardworking. Number three, you know, they are, they are, they are, they are arrogant, all-knowing people, whereby you will tell them that you have a problem of drinking and they will always dismiss you. But that is something that you are not supposed to dismiss at all. So uh, there, 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 are, there are things that influence someone to be able to go into drinking, but there are also things that you can be able to see and realize this person has a drinking problem. And how is your support system when you finally retired? Well, let me say this, you know, unfortunately for our sportsmen and women, everybody is there for them when they are winning. But when you exit, Hardly do you find anything to do that is very important unless you had planned your life and you knew what you were going to do. So when it comes to support system, I would say that we are still, as sportsmen and women, we are still very neglected. And yet we have done so much, you know, for our countries. Again, we realize that, and especially a country like Kenya, most of the people, they think that, you know, these athletes, the only that thing that they are good at is running. And once they are out, they can't do anything. 
you know, but I believe we can be able to do a lot for, uh, for, for our country. We have majority of us that holds uh, a degree. We have got many people who are well learned that they can be put in position of even running the federations where they were participating in. But again, you know, when you look at most of African countries, you hardly find any federation that is well, uh, that is managed by former sportsmen and women. When you talked of chaos in your life, you even mentioned your family, you talk of the blackouts. How bad was this and even the accidents? What, what type of accidents were you having? If I was to pick a drink today, irregardless of how much, one for an alcoholic, one is too many. A thousand is not enough. When I say it was chaotic, is one, if you get a situation whereby the moment my kids would see that there is a bottle in the car, they will just alight and walk and say, I'm not getting into that car. Because they, you know, I mean, they were very young and they, they, they witnessed accidents, okay? Fortunately, and I say this, fortunately for me, there was none that was injurious to anyone, but always probably, you know, I'll crash my own car. Many times, you know, I would have to be picked from the ditches. You know, I've gone to the ditch with a car and I do not know what is happening. As I said, again, I was hospitalized twice. One, the first one, and it still makes me very emotional today. On the eve of the day that Samuel Wanjiro died, I was hospitalized at 3 o'clock BM, taken home in the evening around 7. And at 5 in the morning, someone was, talking, was knocking on my door, and the only news that they were giving me is Samuel has gone. Evelyn, I cried because of one reason. I believe that it was not Wanjiru who was supposed to die but me. Why do I say that? Because, you know, I didn't know exactly what happened. I thought if I was taken to hospital, because the doctor said, if you never brought this guy, because I just scalped a whole liter of vodka, a whole 750 ml, just once. And I black out, I understand my eyes had already rolled. They ran me to hospital, put me on three day trips, you know, that just went very quick, and I was able to recover. So I've always said, someone like Samuel, never, if he had a support system, if he had a family, if he had someone who would realize that he had a big problem of alcoholism, he would be here today with us. He was an, an Olympic marathon champion, Samuel Wanjiru. His life just gone. And another Olympic marathon champion from Beijing lying in hospital. That, was, that it must have been a very difficult moment for me. Of course, my story never came out. All this period that there was chaos, my story was never out. One, at least I would say I had a very good relationship, maybe probably with the media, for those people who learn. Two, I was the kind of a person who will bring in my own home. All the chaos that happens was just within the home and within the surroundings, so it was never blown. Can anyone who has a problem be able to speak out? You know, speaking out is the beginning of healing. For me, to speak about this, it gives me even strength, Evelyn, to know that if God gives me the next 10, 15, 20 years, I can never touch it because I do not want to have those chaos. You do not want to affect those kids when they are very young. And it is one of the reasons why today 
I always tell them, you know what? You may have the gene of an alcoholic, so you can never touch alcohol. It is one thing that I want to instill on my kids, never to touch alcohol, if it is possible. And if they have to, I have to guide them. I have to be able to see, because I can never want to say that I want to control my kids on their social life and what they want to do, but I want to guide them. And Bungay, what made you realize that this was not the right path? Uh, in February of 2012, yes, I was hospitalized. Together, at the time that my daughter was born, I was supposed to be taking my wife for hospital. And in the process, because I had promised her that I wanted to be there for her during delivery, I decided to get that drink to have the courage to be there. So, but eventually it never became that courage. I end up being hospitalized on the same hospital on the same day. In the morning, I even didn't know anything. They had to pick me up from somewhere and I was rushed to hospital. At least fortunately, they were able to resuscitate me because everything was zero, you know all the pulse, uh, temperature was almost zero. They had to put me in those hot things for the kids. And um, with those chaos, it never made me, for example, to leave alcohol. I was involved again in an accident in May, a car accident, and the person who saw it said, this was only things that you can witness in a movie. This guy has a drinking problem. I remember the person gave my wife a card and said, please, call this number, this person needs help. Uh, after the accident, of course, we sorted out the issues. Uh, you know, some cars was written off. I had to buy someone a car, you know, which was worth a million shillings, which was totally a waste. In August, I happened to have an opportunity to work with the, the biggest uh, TV station, I would say, you know, Supersport. I worked for them in the London. During the period, I was a little bit sober, but the last minute of that period, was not good. I came back in September, and within two weeks, it was also chaos of drinking and all those kind of things. And I remember on the 21st of November, I drank for four days consecutive, and I realized I could not take anymore. And I remember I was like, did you give, did you uh, save that card that you were given in May? I realized I could not handle anymore. I was just puking, I could not handle anything, no food would settle in my stomach. So, this is the period that I realized I have a problem. I check into treatment on the 21st. And the first thing that I reached there was, I see everybody and everyone who was there was looking like chaotic guys. And I was like, no, I'm, I don't belong here. I stayed for two days and I wanted to be out. And I remember, we used to call ourselves inmates. Uh, they had to vote whether Wilfred Bungay need to go home or he, or he needs to remain and finish the treatment. They voted that I was going to remain. I agreed only to do two weeks. But Evelyn, after staying in for one week, I decided that I was going to do the whole six weeks. Today, I never regret of undergoing that treatment because there's so much that I learned that the time that we have may never allow me to share everything. But bottom line is that I drink and I can go for a month, two months without touching. But the moment I pick, it is seven days of chaos and chaos of drinking, no food. The only food I was having was just a drink. So it's moments of feeling ashamed and just feeling like, come on, this is it, you know? I'm only good when I'm drunk. Absolutely.
when you realize that you can't handle these things, the best thing to do is to leave it. And the biggest support actually that comes, comes from family. For me, my kids was the biggest people who were hit, despite the fact that they were young, three, four years, but they were able to say, Daddy, don't touch this. Every single day whenever I'm with my kids, I look at them and I ask myself, if I had continued, where would they be? And the only way is soberness. If somebody has a support system, the healing is much faster than, for example, somebody who doesn't have a support system. So support is something that we are still lacking, especially in Kenya, as you mentioned. A lot of our athletes now are sinking into alcoholism. I remember when I was coming from the African Athletics Championships, we flew in the same flight with athletes and half of them were drunk. So what, what would you advise them or what do you think can be done? How many of our sportsmen and women that we always talk of from rugs to reaches to rugs? So many. If we need to cut that thing, then the only way is to be able to invest also for these athletes after they have get out. I do not need to wash my dirty linen in public, but I decide to do that, not for, not for my any cane, for me, but for the cane of those who are suffering, so that they can read their story and they realize that, well, Wilfred went down this way, but he's able to do something. So when you're sharing your story, what do you advise fellow athletes, fellow sportsmen and women? What can they do to avoid pitfalls like what you went through? First and foremost is planning. Before you retire, always plan what you're going to do with your life. Number two, avoid because as much as some people may be influenced by company, I would always say don't be in the wrong company. You better have somebody who is always better than you as your friend. I always like to associate myself with somebody who is always better than me, someone who can be able to motivate me. When I was in treatment, I would get people who would talk about three years soberness, and I used to be like, three years? How are you able to become sober for three years? I never imagined that even maybe in five, I will be talking about five years. I didn't know. But today I know if someone talks about 20 years, I'm like, yes, I will reach there. Because I'm, it, now? it is now seven years, three months. Evelyn, I don't celebrate my birthday. I don't remember my birthdays, but I remember the last day I left drinking. And that is something that gives me going. Do you think maybe our culture, Kenyan culture, and the African culture, makes it hard for us to deal with something like alcoholism? As you, as you mentioned, you don't want to be dubbed alcoholic. Just the way we, don't, we do not actually recognize that depression is a disease. Do you think it's the same thing? Does it make it harder for us to deal with the culture than throwing the stigma? So, recently I saw one of our biggest boxers, I would never mention names, she was put into treatment and then after that, everybody wants to take photos to portray what is happening. I always say that is the most stupidest thing anyone can do. When somebody is undergoing treatment, I want to say this, they need a lot of privacy. They do not need the media. If Wilfred Bungay was featured that he is undergoing treatment, I don't believe that I, was, I would be speaking this story today. So the moment when we accept these issues and we do not stigmatize, that will only allow for healing 
and we can win this war of drug abuse. These people need to be accepted in the society, and we need to get the right treatment for these people. So as a country, as anyone in the field of the sport, we need to play a bigger role than just talking about this person is drunk. My business is to be able to share my story, and hopefully, hopefully, I can change only a single life. I do not need to change 10 people who are alcoholics to leave alcohol. I just need to have one success story. I remember that for every gold medal Kenya won in Beijing, people were watching together, hugging and laughing and just enjoying the moment. And when you got back, did you see this at the airport? Well, let me put this. You know, 08 is still a very unique one for only one single reason. We had come from post-election violence as a country in 2007-2008. And Evelyn, if you remember very well, in our con press conference, every journalist was not asking even how I won the Olympics, but how were we able to do it as a country to get that kind of medals? Sports. And this is something that I wish our viewers and everybody realize in this country and other countries that Olympics plays a role, that sports can bring a unit for a country. When I won, every Kenyan was celebrating in this country, not because I was a Kalenjin, that happens to be the epicenter of violence in this country. Everybody was celebrating because a Kenyan has won. And I realized what the sport can do for humanity. And it is something that I wish people, many people can have their countries participating in the Olympics and they see how much unity they can be able to unite some countries because our sportsmen and women were displaying something they are doing for their motherland. I've, I've seen many Olympics when they come back from this country and you don't see the kind of celebrations that you saw, that I saw in 08, for example. And that is why it makes it very significant. It makes it a very unique thing. How is it going back home? with the gold medal. You had a grand reception. How was that and how did your family react to it? It was very huge for the village, for my primary school. You know, there were so many things that happened for them. And uh, I realized, you know, even my own uh, town, Kapsabet, you know, which is the county uh, headquarters, they were able to name one of the streets as Wilfred Bungay Street, which was a big honor for me. Uh, and I would say that, you know, it, it means a lot sometimes when people appreciate. You see, for me, it was just winning an Olympics. But I never knew that it had a lot of influence on so many other people and was able to get uh, all the coverage and all the things that comes with that winning. How many cows were slaughtered on that day? Uh, well, I believe not less than 10 cows for sure. Because I think there were more than 10,000 people. I never believed what I saw with my eyes. I never, I could never imagine. I had done some things sometime back home, for example, maybe my wedding, which was one of the biggest, but I could, it could not be compared to the, my coming of the Olympics, which I realized, you know, it was a huge one for me. Uh, and as I said, not only for me, but for this country. You talk of Italy. Italy was your second home. Absolutely. I remember every time we used to reach out to you, would ask you, are you here or in your second home? <laughs> how, how, how much did this country influence your lifestyle, your career? My training club in Italy, because I had a small club that I had there, 
the whole province of Verona, you know, awarded me honorary citizenship when I won. We had a big celebration in Verona. Verona is the, is the capital city of, um, of Veneto. You know, we did a very big uh, celebration and everybody was wearing a t-shirt that has gold divided into two, meaning a half for Kenya and a half for Italy. Italy, honestly, they never win, win any Olympic um, gold medalist, but they felt that Wilfred Spungay win is Italian. It was everywhere in all the major newspapers. You know, I was getting like a whole page or even two pages in some other newspapers celebrating this. And, and honestly speaking, Italy changed my life. It made me who I am in terms of, because I mean, Italians, they are the most hardworking people I know. You know, when it comes to dressing also, you know, it has affected me, even it comes to so many things. The way I conduct myself, you know, I'm more of an Italian. You know, I love food, you know, which is basically good the food. best, good. very good food, of course, not just any food, but very good food. You know, those are what Italians does. It is one of the reasons why it made me, for example, you know, to go into hospitality industry. It was, all this was influenced by Italy. As I have always said, we are, an in, we, are we make or our lives, uh, is shaped by environment. And Verona and Italy at large really made me for the person who I am today. Even your fine dressing, you're one of the, probably <laughs> until today, one of the best dressed well, male athletes <laughs> in Kenya. Anyway, thank you for that. But of course, you know, I mean, Italians love fashion and they like nice dressing, they like nice clothes, nice shoes. It's, it's one of the best things actually that you can do. You know, I mean, you can get away with anything when you are well dressed. And um, besides, of course, you know, having the highest number of coaches we have in the world, they come from Italy, and the best coaches. My coach mentored me, Evelyn, from a very small uh, boy, from humble background, to the person that I was able to win Olympics, because of one reason. He always met me at 365 days in a year as an athlete. He never entertained any nonsense of partying or social life. For me, for more than 10 years in athletics, I never had social life. And this was as a result of my coach and my agent, who are both Italians. No more medal chase, no more championships. How difficult or easy was it for you to walk out from all that? Uh, let me say this, that it was the biggest and the hardest thing to do. You see, when you live a life of 365 days a year for over 10 years as an athlete, no social life, nothing, uh, not much to do. It's always, it, has, it comes with a lot of challenges, which of course, I mean, I went through a lot of challenges, but I'm happy here today that uh, I went through those challenges. I call them challenges, but I was able to overcome them. Uh, because what I've realized is that most of the Olympians, if I may say so, and top sportsmen and women, they always find a huge vacuum after they exit the active time of their sport. And, uh, you know, for me, the, the, as I said again, you know, those through those challenges, I've learned a lesson out of it, but I'm happy with what I am doing with my life. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel Podcast. So many thanks to Wilfred and Evelyn for sharing that powerful story. 
If you or anyone you are concerned about are also suffering with alcoholism, substance abuse of any kind, or you just need someone to speak to, help is available. To speak to Alcoholics Anonymous like Wilfred did, their website is www.aa.org, while professionals are also on hand to speak to at any time of day at www.samaritans.org. Don't forget, we are across social media with the handle at Olympic Channel. Do let us know if you enjoyed that story or if you have any comments on the podcast. Thanks once again to Wilfred for sharing his amazing story and we'll see you next time. Think like an Olympian.